welcome. Thank you very much for joining us. My name is Chris Andrew, and I'm the strategy director at the award-winning employee comms company, Cabe & Hope. Joining me today, I'm very excited to have some very special guests. We have Alison Stokes, who is the communications director, and Susan Aljabouri, who's the senior manager for internal communications at Equinix. Equinix is a really interesting company, Silicon Valley-based organization that has connected the likes of Netflix and actually possibly even this Zoom call today, powering the interwebs and keeping us all connected. So thank you for doing that. We'll talk a little bit more about Equinix in a moment. I'd also like to welcome Alex DeSantis, who is a Cabin Hope account director. Thank you all very much indeed for for joining. We'll do some intros in a moment. What we're going to be talking about today is something very, very close to our hearts and something that I think is relevant for, for, for all organizations across every sector. And that is about how to build a positive workplace culture and how that really starts with listening, listening to your people. So we're going to be focusing today on, on listening to people and being able to amplify the voices in your organization. We're going to be talking about the importance of, of showing employees where and how their feedback has, has had an influence. And we'll talk a little bit about openness and about transparency and authenticity and really helping to create an environment where employees feel that they are having an impact on the change. But we're also going to talk a little bit more practically about, you know, how do you run a, an effective communication review? What are the things to learn? What are the pitfalls? What are the opportunities? And it'd be great to, to get your thoughts and feedback on that. But then also with any kind of survey or review or audit, you know, it's only as, as meaningful as the results and the change that you action as, as a result of it. So really being able to, to drive that. I'm really keen to get your, your thoughts because I know that you have done a recent communication review at Equinix. So thank you so much for joining. It's lovely to see you again. Let's start with you, Ali, can you quick kind of overview of, of your role in, in Equinix? Thanks, Chris, and really great to be here today as well. It's a really hot topic for us as well, so we've got uh, lots of passionate views on the, on the subject. I'm Ali Stokes. I'm the Director of Comms for Equinix here in EMEA, Europe, Middle East and Africa. been in Equinix a couple of years now, and my role encompasses all elements of comms, whether it's social analyst relations, PR, and of course, employee engagement as well come from a 20 plus year career thus far in, in communications, both on agency side, or working for big tech brands, always predominantly being in tech, just a passion of mine, I guess. And been at Equinix now for about a couple of years. Equinix is a super exciting company, probably not everybody's heard of them, but as you said, a lot of what you do day in, day out, and, and aren't even thinking about it, is running on the Equinix platform. We're a global company. We have about 237, I think, the last count, data centers across 27 countries across the world. We've just entered the exciting new continent of Africa as well. And we just, I think last year, became a, a Fortune 500 company as well. So we're moving fast, growing fast as well. Pleasure to be here. Can't wait to get into it. Well, thank you so much. And Susan, hello. Thanks for having me. It's great to be on and, and talking to you. Yeah, Susan Aljabori. I'm a senior manager for internal communications across EMEA, so 16 markets, my key stakeholders, regional president, also sales leader. So supporting the business in how to engage with employees across quite a diverse region. So uh, it's not boring. And it's 15 plus years now that I've been in internal comms. Learned a lot in that time, but yeah, still continue to be surprised. And uh, it's very fast paced, as many internal comms professionals know, because you're in the hot seat all the time as, as the world's changing. Absolutely. Thank you very much indeed. And thank you for joining. Finally, last but not least, Alex DeSantis, do you want to give us a quick kind of a, uh, intro to you? Yes. So I have been at Cape on Hope for about 10 years. My experience is really in deploying these 
listening strategies across a variety of different clients with a focus on the impact that it has on the employee experience. And as an account director, my role is to oversee strategy and delivery of the campaigns that we run with the majority of our clients. It's exciting to be here and to go through this topic. Thank you very much. Let's set the scene. The importance of listening to our people, the importance of listening to our employees and using that as a, as a meaningful response to actually helping to drive strategy and drive the way in which you communicate and engage with people. So often it doesn't always work like that. And and I'm glad that we're able to have this conversation. So many organizations say that they listen to employees and that their voice is important. How do we as, as internal communications and employee engagement professionals make sure that employees really truly are listened to? And how can we show them how and where their feedback has had an influence? So Susan, what are your thoughts in terms of the importance of listening? Yeah, so to put it in context, I think when I, when I started my career in internal comms more than 15 years ago, it was very much the command and control. So you push down from the top. It's about what the business needs to communicate to employees. And there were sort of pockets of listening here and there. I think there have been several drivers of change, one of the key one being social media, where people just naturally feel they have a voice in their real lives. And businesses realized that they needed to adapt to new generations of people who have a say, because it's that case of you want employees to be engaged, you want to retain them, they need to feel they have a stake in the business. And so listening is the most obvious tool. And it's kind of amazing still that I think in internal comms, we're still on the, on the train of learning that and really building it into how we operate just naturally as internal communicators. So it's vitally important. And actually what I've seen over time is the business really benefits because stakeholders, leadership in particular, they make decisions, but they are really interested to understand if they are pitching it correctly. Should they be putting out this message? Should they be taking this stance? So it's really helpful if we have the listening tools in place to be able to support them with that and give them the data, give them the answers. So yeah, it's vitally important, but I think there are more benefits than people realize. People may think, well, okay, that means we have to do another survey. It's like, no, there are many mechanisms of listening that actually we do without even realizing that it's listening. So it's just about how we gather all of that information, package it up and provide it to people that help them in, in communicating in general. Yeah, I'm, I think hopefully we'll, we'll come on to the, the various different types and the phrases like survey fatigue come up very, very regularly. And we'll I think we'll probably come on to that a little bit later on, but that will make sense. In terms of your experience and as an internal comms professional, I guess over the last couple of years, the pandemic has had a big shift and a big impact on, on this. Have you noticed any particular trends or, or shifts in terms of perhaps the importance that is now being placed on this than it perhaps was previously? Yeah, the, the pandemic is, is a classic example of a crisis situation where you actually, businesses in the world, governments, all kind of institutions were sort of frozen in place, trying to figure out what to do. And people were looking to leadership, looking for leadership and to their leaders to make a call. And it was a very difficult time, but businesses, including Equinix, realized that they had to put in regular listening mechanisms in place to pick up on how employees were feeling, where there were gaps, where were we not communicating, or are we pitching this correctly? Have we got this right? And so it actually was a good opportunity to put more robust mechanisms in place. The pandemic has been awful, but it's amazing the learnings that we've got from it because we've been in this sort of crisis mode for two years or more. That's been really interesting. That's a challenge that has given us a lot of insights, but I think generally it's also helped us at Equinix, but I think more broadly, businesses and institutions move from being stakeholder-led to audience-led, 
which is a passion of mine, actually. And it's it's something that I want to impart more. And I find myself in conversations with stakeholders and, and business in general, just to say, can we think about the audience first and let them guide us? Because that way we know that what we're delivering is much more meaningful. And certainly with the pandemic, it was much more hearts and minds than business comms. We really had to get people on board with certain changes or new things that we were implementing, making sure that they felt safe wherever they were. So it definitely pivoted us in the right direction in the sense of being employee-led. And I guess with lots of organisations, there is a, a sort of an expectation now, I suppose, to carry on the positives that came out of that in terms of more of a two-way conversation and greater level of listening. Ali, it's interesting because your your role sort of bridges the gap with sort of in terms of internal and external. What's your take on, on all of this? I would echo that if we had a bumper sticker, I think that would definitely be our bumper sticker being not stakeholder-led, but audience-led. And I think that's been a shift across comms in general. There's different, definitely different expectations. I mean, I think going back to your question, Chris, as well about some of the challenges, I think one of the challenges that we face as communicators is complexity. Often asked to simplify the complex or explain the, the technical in our, in our world just so that people can get a grip to it. And I think it's also about speed and agility, especially when you're in a moment of change, whether it's an organisational change or a pandemic or a crisis, you know, we're in one right now. Just being able to navigate that complexity, channel it in in, in a way, not dumb it down, but channel it in the right way that is going to reach the audience to the outcome that you're trying to drive is, I think, one of the greatest challenges that, that we have, but you know, one that we embrace and enjoy. And then I think that breeds this question about alignment as well. We don't want parrots. We don't want our leaders not to be authentic. They need to sort of follow certain lines to make to ensure that they're not causing confusion and that we're not saying different things at different points in time as well. You know, we're a matrix organization like many others across the globe. That lends itself an element of complexity as well, just making sure that everybody's kind of on the same page as well. But again, I think also in, in the environment that we're in, whether you're calling it the great resignation, the great reorganization, whatever the, the current phrase is, Talent is ever more important and, and holding on to, to you know great skill sets, great talent, great experience is a costly business for an organization. You know, recruitment costs a lot of dollars and, and pounds and euros. Keeping employees united, engaged, and knowing how they're contributing to the, the greater good, whatever that good is, that's the challenge that I find. I think the thing that I enjoy most about my role here at Equinix is that I do cover and span all the comms disciplines. And I think, again, that connection point between each of those is super important. An employee is not in a silo. I don't wake up one day and just read my email for information, right? I, I get information from all different sources, whether it's the radio, whether it's friends, whether it's social media. And I get also that from my emails and my formal communications. So there's a balance between formal and informal and just understanding that you can't over control the message. But there's certain ways that you've got to navigate that formality and that informality as well. Thank you very much. Susan, so when you were starting to to look at wanting to do a review and really find out more, what were you wanting to get out of that? What was the desire? I can imagine that there are some obvious things in terms of getting an understanding of the amount of communication and the sort of the channels and those kinds of elements. But from a, a cultural perspective, what were you trying to achieve? So we, we were trying to make sure that we were on the right track. I think we actually work in a company that's really strong on culture. It's got a really lovely framework. We've got something called the magic of Equinix. We've got a great sort of built-in mechanism for recognizing employees in a, in a very visible and easy way through our, our intranet. We call it magical mentions. So and our values are pushed very hard by our leadership and they really, really believe it. 
we just wanted to be sure that we weren't getting complacent. That's what we think as communicators, we talk to the stakeholders, but we don't actually know how it lands, how it resonates. And so making sure that we understand how engaged employees are with the culture, with our purpose in particular, because we've been focusing a lot more in the last couple of years on our purpose as well. It was really good to understand that through the focus groups and through the, the survey. There's more work to do in terms of purpose and our strategy. We feel that there are, what the survey highlighted was that there are gaps. People understand parts of it, but not all of it. And that was really good insight for us to be able to then make sure that we address that. And it, it gave us a sort of guiding light into how, how we're going to do that in the next year to two, because we have our strategic priorities, but are we actually communicating it effectively? Are we reaching all corners of, of the business? And so that, that was really helpful insights yeah from from the whole process I'd, I'd also add it was based on jealousy because we have our great measurement tools for pr good you know good and bad lots of data points that come out of that that measure either the effectiveness or whether our storytelling is working there same for social media but for some reason there seems to be this gap where it comes to internal comms or employee engagement and yet as, as susan said i'm sure we'll get on to every time we communicate with an employee is an opportunity to learn something and so it doesn't have to be just a survey. But again, we wanted to also temper that our decision making wasn't, again, based on our bias. Right? I'm sat in London, same as Susan. Right? We're responsible for a very dynamic, culturally rich region, which is growing, as I said, all the time. I don't know what it's like to be German. So that's something I'll never know, right? Or, or Hungarian or whatever it might be. You only know that if you're in there. And, and we didn't want to be assumptive in our comms and also not base a lot of our decisions on what I would call corridor anecdotes, which again, I think with the lack of face-to-face -face contact that we had due to the pandemic has only exacerbated the problem. Sometimes those hallway conversations can be really helpful. You're going to base the whole strategy on the fact that three people have made a comment about something. We needed to test some of our assumptions. Okay, I like that. I like that. So, so if we move on a little bit now, then to talk about running the internal communication review and, and how you do that and why it's important. And, you know, you mentioned in terms of being part of a global matrix organization that you need to be aware of the cultural and geographical nuances, but I guess also the range. And I think what was interesting with, with Equinix that, that, that came out was the variety of the roles and the kinds of environments that people are in. You know, you've got people remote working at the moment, working in, in offices in comparison to people working in data centers on shifts. And how do you engage? with those people, not just in terms of the review, but actually then the outcomes and, and how all of that comes. And that's why I think from our perspective, and Alex, I don't know what you think about this, but the importance of, of adopting the, the, the right approach and making sure that you are listening to all of the different groups and of, of people within the organization before you start to make some decisions. And again, you know, out in PR and marketing world, we don't put a product on the market without knowing that there are going to be some people who want to buy it. And it's, you know, it's exactly the same when it comes internally, you know, just coming out with some messaging without knowing, at least having a decent perception or an understanding of how that's going to land. And also what is the purpose behind it? What are you trying to, to achieve with those communications and also with the review? Because I think doing a communication review in itself suggests that there is an interest and a desire and you're placing importance on wanting to better understand what people think and, and wanting to, to change. 
Alex, do you want to add anything just on that? Yes, it will definitely help recalibrate your communication strategy, but it also helps you to align your business strategy to it. And I think that's hugely important, especially you know, going back to Alison and Susan's points about being a purpose-led organisation. It just allows you to then be able to see if, if your culture aligns with your colleagues' own values. So it's, it's hugely, hugely important. And I think from what we can learn externally, Apple does it really well externally on the market. When they released their iPhone 6, for example, they identified just on social the various social posts or uh, photos that people would have posted. And they created a massive world gallery that showed off the audience's own creativity. But then that in turn demonstrated the iPhone's features, which it meant Apple took a backseat and allowed the audience to promote the iPhone, which is, you know, why can't we take that same approach internally and learn from colleagues and then adapt our strategy and adapt the way that we communicate, but also adapt the business strategy against that, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Absolutely. Thank you for that. All right. So if we think about the actual review and doing that and actually running something, I'm, I'm assuming you've, you've had some learnings in your experience of, of doing these things and what to get right, perhaps with some pitfalls to be aware of. What were the things that you would identify as really being absolutely key to having in place for a successful review? Susan, what do you think about that? There was appetite for it in Equinix, so it wasn't a difficult sell, but really bringing a wide group of people into the tent to take part in it was really key. So the focus groups were really diverse. We had leadership, you know, all the way down to operations people. There were three sessions. It was a nice mix, but also we we stepped back from it. So we weren't allowed in the room. And I think that's really key because people could hopefully understand that we want your honest feedback. What is your experience rather than it being, as Ali puts it, asking people to mark our homework. We don't want people to tell us how well we're doing. We want them to really give us their you know, genuine experience of communications at Equinix. What are the pain points? What works well? Yeah. So bringing more people in and have them be a part of the process was really helpful. Obviously, you don't want the too many cooks situation, but focus groups was a great way. And the leadership interviews was a great way as well of getting more people on board. And they were really keen when they knew there was a survey. They were really keen to find out when the survey was coming out. Actual engagement around the survey was quite high. So it was great to see that appetite for it in the business. Partnership was really important as well. So like I'm sure many organizations, we do survey employees on a on actually on a quarterly basis in Equinix. It's called the Pulse Survey, which is managed and owned by our colleagues in HR. Certainly we wanted to build on rather than replicate what we already knew. So I think that was also important to kind of look at what you already know and what are the kind of assumptions that you're trying to kick the tires of a little bit. Clearly, the goal of the HR survey is different from this. And different from this body of work but I think partnership with them and, and as Susan says a lot of our buy-in from our senior leaders not just in the comms and marketing teams but across the business was really critical as well. What was the main process that you followed the sort of the key areas that you focused on? I think we talked a little bit about a mixture of of leadership conversations and focus groups and, and then a survey. I would say as well the design of the survey was something that we put a lot of time into I would say all of us put a lot of time into because again we wanted to definitively move away from a survey that would say comms is doing really well everything's shiny and great you know everyone understands everything all the time one of the opposite we wanted to tell people to tell us what isn't working what isn't resonating we also wanted to know softer things like how inspired people are that's a difficult question or difficult thing to to measure 
I think the other thing that's been really important, and in fact, we're going to be doing this in the next couple of weeks, is that we're feeding back what we learned. I know from personal experience, I'm sure all of you do as well. You know, if I'm asked for my opinion, either on a survey or after I've bought something, I kind of want to know what you're going to do with that information and what's happened. So if, I, if I'm not happy about something, are you going to change it? So we're actually having a short segment in our next regional all hands just to give that feedback back in terms of we've taken action. You know, we have pivoted and changed direction and some key things that we have done and that, that we're going to be doing moving forward as well. So I think it's also about designing your review in a way that's going to be applicable afterwards. It's not just, well, that was nice. Everybody's great. You need some insights that are going to be derived from it. And then we did spend quite a lot of time, I think, like Susan, in terms of socializing the results in a way that in forums that could, you know, could be discussed, you know, with our comms partners or it was a global survey that we did as well. So again, it was just good to compare things across the regions and see some common lessons learned. And it's a bit of a traditional approach, isn't it? This kind of annual survey, which is important, but I don't know what it's like at Equinix, but in so many organisations that we talk to, a year is such a long time. We're increasingly adopting a much more agile approach to this stuff. Not only is it really important to act upon the feedback that you get, but also that actually by the, almost by the time that you've got that feedback, the situation's changed. And how do you respond in an agile way? And I think lots of organisations are really struggling to, to keep up with things. And I said survey fatigue earlier, and I don't know what you think about survey fatigue as a, as a concept. Personally, I think it's a bit of a myth. And I think you mentioned that Ali earlier. If you create the right environment, people are never not going to want to tell you what they think about something. You've got to make it easy and you've got to make it simple. And as you said, I think Susan earlier, that it doesn't have to necessarily be surveys and focus groups all the time. We know that people are time poor and they're getting lots of communications and it needs to be simple. But I can imagine that there are so many ways in which you can then once you've got that sort of initial view, of what the perceptions are and what you want to change that then the sort of regular drumbeat of changes that you might want to, to check on on a regular basis is is, yeah. is that much is that much easier yeah and the array of mechanisms is quite interesting so we had a town hall recently and we used the slido tool where people can post a question and vote for a question and that is sentiment gathering because that was able to tell us which things are people worried about so that the top voted questions highlighted to us i mean actually the top thing that was voted for was a comment not a question right so People used it as a mechanism of feedback. And I think because it doesn't take much effort, but they're also chiming in with somebody else. Whereas, you know, in a survey, as valuable as they can be, you are filling out your own personal view without any sight of anybody else's. Whereas what Slido does is almost as a social media mechanism of you're chiming in with other people and making that sentiment really heard. So you're that sort of collective point of view, people gather around one question or one comment is actually quite powerful. And so we then took that top point and we had to address it head on in the town hall. So there are lots of ways of, of gathering data stakeholders pick up on it as well. And they, they're often surprised, sometimes pleasantly surprised by the fact that people are telling me this, this, this is great. I now know what to say. So yeah, I, I would say don't necessarily focus on surveys as being a data gather mechanism on its own that's going to deliver. There's a lot more ways that you can actually gather insights. Chat on Zoom is another one. So if you're running an all hands, log the comments that are coming through on chat. That also gives you an idea. If you put them in the buckets of positive, neutral and negative in a table, you'd be able to get a sentiment for how people felt on the call when you were covering certain topics for example so yeah there's many ways of doing it you can make it as human as possible as well so thinking about your line managers your champions who you are that they are there to listen and to really help colleagues have their voices heard and I think to me that's 
one of the key things that I've noticed in the last couple of years that actually it's leveraging your colleagues, your peers to get the voices heard. Absolutely. I think what it's given us is a great benchmark. But as you said, Chris, it's a moment in time. If we think about all the craziness going on in the world, when, you know, when we did the survey to kind of doing the analysis, doing the review, you know, there's a good maybe a month or so in, in, in even a gap there. So we've got a mindset of almost having, as Susan said, a, a sort of sentiment dashboard where we've got where we can gather the right metrics that are going to give us those insights to act upon. And just like other communicators are in the business, we want to be a business partner. Susan's role, right? She's got the pulse of the company, right? She knows the hearts and the souls and, and the minds of what people are thinking and feeling because she's got all these different points of data, you know, even down to, you know, how many people open an email or not opening email. That's not about how great that email was it's just about well is it resonating is are these messages landing with people and that's really being helpful to influence our strategies in terms of how we communicate when we communicate what channels we use we're doing a whole audit now as well of all of our internal events so we can get a real sense of purpose about why should i show up to our regional all hands why should i show up to a company meeting what am i going to get from that What's the tone of that meeting? And I think each have different roles and different places, but you make your choices, right? You've got your time poor, typically. And it's expensive as well to a business to keep expecting workers to down tools and spend an hour to listen in on a, on a company meeting, unless it's going to be of value to them. So we're really taking a very critical eye on the value of all, this, all these engagement points as well, just to make sure that we're making the best use of our resources and people's priorities and time. Still a way to go, but... It was, it was a great start. So I was going to ask you, as with so many of these reports, there are some, I, I would expect some sort of industry norms that, that will come out in terms of lots of communication and sometimes about perhaps things needing to be more simple within organisations and thinking about that kind of stuff. And it was, what's also interesting is the channels that you're starting to use in order to create that sort of regular pulse check. And I always believe very much that the channels that a business uses reflects the culture that they're looking to create. So talking about Slido and upvoting says a lot about your dedication to transparency, for example, and making things open in that two-way conversation. Was there anything that came out of your review that you can share with us that perhaps was a surprise or was, was unexpected? I'll give one solid example. There's one particular channel that I've never really been quite happy with that's used to update key audience members in the business. And I just thought maybe there's a better way of doing this. Like So in order to encourage people to look at that and change that, I was hoping that the survey would kind of prove me right because I feel this way and people I've spoken to anecdotally also agree with me. And so I'm sure that will come through. And actually the survey results were, no, people actually value this channel. They think it's great. And so I had to really check my biases because I was operating on that anecdotal basis of God, really? I don't know. If this doesn't work for me. Yeah, that was really interesting. And it really does make you take a step back and think, okay, I, I really do need to think more about, I come at it with, I want to listen to the audience. I, I also need to understand what biases I have, where I might be leaning in on a point of view that actually, if the data says the opposite, then I need to go with that. And so that was an interesting insight. Some of it was great in that it did confirm certain things I had concerns about. And also things that I was striving for. So more simplicity, more transparency. And it was great 
to be able to go to leaders, for example, and say people want a bit more transparency in this area. We're a successful business, but maybe people want to hear a bit more about where we can improve, what's not working. And and that was really taken on board well by the leadership. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, I I see that because it's kind of boring for me to go, hey, everything's great (laughs) because it is. But yeah, let me focus on the areas where maybe we need to do a bit more work. So they found that really rewarding as well. So two insights that jump out at me from the process, for sure. It's always very interesting when when the unexpected comes. I suppose either way, people do reviews. And I know I've seen in situations people are being disappointed that they've been told what they already knew. And I try and see that as a positive that actually you've now got the data to back up your thoughts or your perceptions. So I think either way, it can be a really valuable exercise, but particularly, I suppose, when those things that you weren't perhaps aware of came out. So in terms of the next steps, you know, what are you doing to to address some of these results and some of these these insights? Are there any sort of key priorities that have come out of this? I think one of the, the things that, again, we, we sort of had an inkling around, but we didn't quite know what sort of brought to bear was around strategic alignment. So we had a, this great situation in, in the review, you know, coming out of the review where people said that on one hand, we had a very high score of people saying that they, I think the question was something like that they know how to, to talk about the economic strategy. But then anecdotally and the focus groups and also with comments, people said that they they didn't feel aligned to the strategy or they didn't really understand how to implement it. And that for us was really telling, right? So in one hand, great, everybody's saying they understand, you know, they can spout out our boilerplate. But in terms of actually knowing the importance of what they do on a day-to-day basis and how that lines up to the bigger picture and the you know the vision and strategy of the company, that's a big gap for us, right? And we sort of knew it was there, but I think it was helpful to validate some of that. And that's obviously a big area for us to try and to tackle, especially in a kind of, I would guess, middle layer of leadership within our company as well. It's not necessarily the senior, senior leaders or, you know, your general employee population, but it's those sort of directors and above potentially who are making decisions, are prioritizing workloads. So that's a big takeaway for us as well. And, and something that we'll be implementing this year in, in terms of how to address that gap. Yeah, we're, we're doing much more on video and my key stakeholder, the regional president, is actively doing more in that space where it's kind of become a more easy way for him to communicate. We're also looking at bringing stories to life via video as well. So that, that did come through. We got a lot of feedback about the complexity of channels and that's something that we, we really need to, to look at. It's a bigger challenge than just comms. It's one of those, it's almost infrastructural, IT infrastructure, where once you're on the office suite, then you get Yammer and you get Teams. And so the interesting message that came back to us is I feel that, that, that I'm seeing the same message in different places and it feels like it's being diluted. Whereas from the comms perspective, it's like, let's go broad. This is a big piece of news. We want to make sure that people can see it wherever they go. And actually the feedback was, no, can you just step back a bit? And I don't need to see things in 20 places. There are key go-to channels and I'd rather look at it there. And so we really need to look at channel mapping there's not much we can do about the channels that we have, but we need to be more mindful and more strategic in our approach about how we use them. So that was a key learning for us as well. Repetition was something that came across. And again, I think that's, as I said at the top of the call, down to that sort of matrix organisation where you want to make sure that everybody's covered. I think also it's challenged us to think, not have that one and done attitude. Okay, right, the announcement's out, everybody knows about it, it's all done. But I, I sort of had that analogy between the difference between a press release and a blog. You know, when we write press releases, they've got a certain, obviously, audience and goal. And a blog will take a slightly different take on it or will go deeper. It's the same information. It's the same news. It's the same story, but it's just told in a slightly different way. I think that's the way that we're looking at it. It's not that you're just kind of one and done. 
but you've got to think about the journey that you're taking the audience on and think about the different channels that people are going to receive that information from and engage with that. And I guess being able to use the data that you have about your people to be able to target and tailor, it's really hard, isn't it, to find that balance between making sure that people are given the opportunity to engage with information, but then not over duplicating and then also not providing them not enough or too much and, you know, trying to strike that right balance. And I always use this example that out in marketing world, if you want people to watch a movie, you don't just stick a billboard outside the cinema. You do TV ads and you do interviews with the stars and you, you do a combined co-branding thing yeah, with a perfume or, yeah. or whatever, you know, that you've got those connections. But in an internal setting, and, and I've, I've always historically said that that's kind of relevant, but I think actually in, internally, because you're able to, in comparison to dealing with demographics, you're dealing with human beings who you know and you understand who they are and where they're based and it enables you to be perhaps a little bit more tailored and targeted whilst also ensuring that you are being transparent and giving people the opportunity to find out more if they want to. And I, I think there's a layering of communication, isn't there? And your example about the press release versus the blog piece is that kind of, if you only look at this, then this is the two things you need to know. But if you want to dig deeper, then you can go and have a look at this and have a conversation with this person and being able to let people choose how to engage a little bit more, which I, I think is, is something that we're, we're seeing in terms of the way in which you, you approach perhaps a channel strategy. We definitely see our employees are kind of in 3D, right? They're 3D beings, right? So we are 3D. And sometimes that's why we, we lean a lot, for example, on our local leaders, our local managing directors, because we don't try necessarily translate all of our messaging in the local languages that we have. And I don't even mean that in the in the literal sense of the word, but they they do a great job of sort of contextualizing whatever that announcement or news is in the context of where they are or the organization part of the organization that they're in as well. So I wouldn't be afraid of letting them, as Alex said, be the mouthpiece for disseminating and engaging with that information as well. They're another channel, aren't they? It's absolutely key. And we spoke a little bit about champions earlier. I think what I've taken from it is that there is a real opportunity to think creatively about the approach that you adopt to listening and capturing feedback. I was going to mention it earlier, but I always think about the happy face, sad face after you've been through the x-ray at an airport. Why would you not complete that information? It's simple. It takes less than a second and there's a bit of fun to it. And it gives a huge amount of valuable feedback to the airport about the service that that person has literally just had. And this doesn't work in every situation and you need to have more than that. But there's an idea of the ways in which you can be different and creative about how you're collecting and, and gathering information, I think is, is really key in a way that, that perhaps stands out. What also came from this for me is about the importance of aligning and getting your stakeholders on board with what you're trying to achieve and being in a place where I guess they are open to listening about it. And then the last piece, and we've spoken about it a little bit, is about the importance of then taking meaningful action and identifying what are those oh, quick wins. I hate that expression. Sorry. But as well as then those longer term goals, it fits with all of our classic change program, but identify those successes and really shout about them. But also what is the longer term changing? But I guess the key point for me is that you listen and then you need to listen again and you need to listen again. And how do you create a simple framework when generally speaking, one of the things that always comes back is there's too many comms coming at me, particularly in a matrix business like yours, where you're receiving stuff from very different functions and locations and geographies and so on and so forth that can be a challenge and, and striking that right balance making sure that you have got that process in place so that was that was fantastic to hear thank you so much really really quickly how do you connect or listen with employees that are not traditionally office based how do you engage with those people who are on shifts or they're working on site what have you learned from that 
So that's a definite challenge. We have executive comms who are uh, trying innovative new ways to, to reach that audience and engage with them. So there are certain system alerts that they use. One quite innovative approach is for any key comms that they want to send out, let's say if they want to make sure that people are going to join an all hands that day and operations all hands that day, they will push it through the actual operations system alert. And they found that that really, really works. I'm not a fan of newsletters and, and neither is Ali. And in some parts of the business, they don't really work. But for the data center employees, they do really work because they pull in all of the different communications into one email. And they, they know through the click rate, because we use an email delivery tool, they know from the click rate that actually operations people are reading it. And it's been a real time saver for them because they can just in one hit look at all the things that they need to see that month. So I think it's horses for courses. I think for corporate employees, they, they're just in the office all day or at their laptop all day. So there are other ways to reach them. But yeah, newsletters were, was a surprise, I have to say. So again, checking my biases, <laughs> that was a surprise to find out. That's very interesting. It all comes down, doesn't it, to an understanding of the audience and who you're and who you're talking to and what their what their day to day work and life is is like. We're, we've worked for many years with a big global FMCG company, and a couple of things that I'd learned about their manufacturing and factory based workforces is so depending on where it is in the world, the sort of site managers use WhatsApp quite a lot to to send simple messages and to use it to to gather feedback. But also simple things like putting a piece of information or communications on a on the tray liner for a canteen. You know that perhaps when they're having lunch, there's going to be 15 or 20 minutes when they might have yeah. a little bit of time to take something in or to respond yeah. to something. Just thinking about interesting ways of, of engaging. We're looking at digital signage, for example, in a lot of the break rooms. And again, it's a simple way, and hopefully environmentally way as well, that when it's there. So you've got to think of people's natural environments and the natural working patterns. All hands tend not to use because they're working, right? They're not like us office people. They're going to down tools and, and join an hour long. And why would you want them to do that as well? You know, they're, they're working on something critically as well. So it's, it's I think for those workers, it's important to give them flexibility so it's not time bound. So the newsletter is a good a good example of that, or ha having something that's almost always on. To your point, like a tray liner or a poster or you know digital signage. And we also need to remember that managers are a channel. Mm. And so if you can tap into a cohort, if you understand key leaders that might have a certain cadence of meetings, if they're catching up with a certain group every month, and, and that's quite a broad group of people that are hard to reach, tap into that leader and say, hey, you've got your monthly meetings. I'd really like to talk to you about what it is you share. We've got some corporate messaging. We don't want you to bombard them. But if you can mention X and Y, because we'd really like to get these guys engaged. That's uh, all the time we have, I'm afraid, for today. But thank you, Ali, Susan, so much, and Alex, obviously, for joining and sharing a bit of an insight into what you've been up to and what you're doing. It sounds fantastic and a really fascinating organisation, and we'll be looking to see how you, how you progress and how things go from here. But thank you again for, for joining. And thank you, everyone else, for listening in. It's been an absolute pleasure, as always. Thank you for joining, and we'll speak to you again next time. Bye.